We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, it's Alex from the Guilty as Charged podcast crew, and I'm here to talk about Manscaped. Just like an NFL game, your balls need to be clean. What happens when your balls aren't clean? I don't know. Joshua Kelly fumbles, Philip Rivers interceptions, deflate gate, you name it. Using the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, you can groom to your heart's content. Their trimming technology is the best in the biz, and you won't catch a suspension for cheating. Personally, I love the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs. Whatever you want, Manscaped has it. For 20% off your first order, use code GUILTY at checkout. It supports the show, but also supports your grooming habits. That's the most important thing. We care about you. Again, that's code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Now let's get to those Los Angeles Chargers. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. I am your host. My name is Steven. Joining me, as always, are Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you today. How are you doing? Uh, doing good. Very fun day yesterday watching everybody react to pro days and <laughs> scripted throws by quarterbacks who have been trained to throw. Honestly, you know, I, I love that Ryan Dyrud, you know, mm-hmm. we had him on our podcast and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm good friends with him. You know, he, he pointed out a, a, the exact same throw that Drew Locke <laughs> threw at his pro day. So, uh, you know, pro days in general, I feel like are more about confirmation or, okay, like I need to go back and revisit this guy, which is, I feel like what most people are are missing right now, because like, if you didn't think that Justin Fields was talented and can run a four, three or four, <laughs> four, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. you know, same thing with Patrick Sertan, JC Horn and all that conversation. Um, Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm going to start with this since it's relevant to our conversation today. As of 2015, thanks to Bleacher Report. The all-pro rate among first-round picks from the past 25 years was as follows. So guards, 21.9%. Tackles, 19%. Wide receiver, 15.2%. The bust rate among first-round picks from the past 25 years. Wide receiver, 30.3%. Guard, 21.9%. Tackle, 19%. O-liner bust at 13, guys. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We are going to talk about the offensive linemen, and I'm so excited as the resident offensive lineman uh, on on this podcast. I cannot wait for this conversation. (laughs) So we are going to highlight some of the the offensive linemen in this class, like we did last time with the wide receivers and tight ends, talking about some uh, players that were pounding the table for, players that we do not understand, as well as uh, some sleepers, because we know that the Chargers will have to be adding, you know, probably three or four offensive linemen in this draft class. Uh, But first of all, we're going to cover some news. Uh, I think the big news of the week in terms of the NFL is the 17th game being officially added. Um, and so the Chargers will play the Minnesota Vikings. I think 
Uh, it was reported that that's going to be the last game of this season. If I'm not mistaken, I, I'm pretty sure Gilbert Manzano retweeted a tweet that said about that, uh, which will be exciting. That's a really good game. And so uh, we'll have nine games to attend at SoFi. And Roger Goodell did say that he believes the NFL will be at full capacity next year, which is fantastic news. Uh, Tyler, any other reactions to the 17th game and specifically uh, it being the Vikings for the Chargers? You know, I'm just really, really excited to have another matchup to go see where I get to watch the Minnesota Vikings take on the backup second stringers of the Chargers because they're all injured by that time. And we're praying we can make the playoffs. Alex, any thoughts there, man? <laughs> um, I had a couple. I mean, the 17th game is is interesting. Um, I was kind of hoping they would add another bye week in there. Um, yeah. You know, with the 17th game, I kind of don't like the idea of just a team having to play, you know, a bunch of games consecutively if they have their, you know, bye week early or, right. you know, it probably could be split up better. But, um, you know, the Vikings, here's the thing. Uh, Vikings fans are a bunch of herbs and I hate all of them. <laughs> Uh, you guys lost 38 to seven in the NFC championship. Get the fuck out of my face. Nick Foles took you out. All right. <laughs> anyway. So the thing with this Jefferson Herbert thing, right? They've been posting on social media about how they took over SoFi stadium two years ago when the chargers were asked that year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they posted that thing. It's like, all right, you guys have this big fan base, but somehow a team with no fans got Justin Herbert Pepsi rookie of the year. You know, so maybe you guys got to vote a little bit harder if you uh, want to get those awards. So I don't know. Vikings fans are a bunch of herbs, and I think that they should be laughed at. Especially for their grammar mistakes. Um, <laughs> no, it is. It is a funny kind of budding rivalry, I think, because, you know, like this, this whole Justin versus Justin thing could be a lot of fun over the next couple of years. Um, obviously, you know, 17 games probably changes how much each team will play teams from the other conference because, you know, I feel like before 2019, they hadn't played the Vikings in a really long time. I think since the Cromartie game was the last time, if I'm not mistaken. No, they, it had been four years since oh, okay. 2015. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was in Mexico when that happened, so that didn't count. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is exciting. I, I'm with you, though. I, I wish they would have added another bye week because it's not just like during the season. Right. Like they took a, away a bye week from playoff teams, too. So, you know, some of these teams are going to be playing 18 football games all in a row. And I really hope they adjust the schedule for when they can start the buys, because, you know, if you have a week five bye, then yeah. you're playing, you know, 12 games in a row and a playoff game potentially or more. So I really wish that they would have added added another bye week as well. I just think that's, you know, for all this talk about player safety, it's like, what are what are we doing here? You know, like, yeah, as long as the players get paid, I guess, but I'm just, I wish they would have added another bye week. I also just don't understand not adding another bye week. Cause it's like, yeah, you have another week of games to sell and you could probably just yeah. boost your money up that way. So that I didn't understand. So the last time the Vikings and chargers played uh, before last year was 2015. That was the game when Adrian Peterson ran for 130 yards. Uh, that was a nightmare game for that secondary. <laughs> just getting mauled. Yeah, I, uh, I was in Mexico without TV access when that happened, so that makes sense why I would not remember <laughs> that. Um, all right, let's get to the other news, which is uh, the Chargers went out and signed uh, Ryan Smith from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, former fourth-round pick of the Buccaneers, uh, who has become quite a nice special teams player. Uh, I think Field Yates called him a special teams ace. Uh, I have not watched any film on him, and, and you know, I think there was a little bit uh, of a stretch there. You know, he's not... <laughs> Um, yeah, what's his name Slater up in New England? And, you know, Tyler did point out that Derek Watt had like double the tackles uh, in 2019 than he did. Uh, I think it's a good signing. They needed to add some some uh, depth pieces in the cornerback room who can play on special teams and excel in that role. And so we'll have to see, you know, I expect him to kind of have a competition with, you know, a player like a Tavon Campbell or maybe even Brandon Faison as somebody that could potentially be cut. I'm, I'm hoping that they didn't sign Ray, uh, Ryan Smith just to cut him. Uh, but I think it's a good signing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good signing. Uh, you can basically have him for the same price the Buccaneers did last year, which is nothing. <laughs> I think he yeah. actually got the same exact deal um, that he had with Bucks. So a good signing. I mean, it's I think 
they're not going to really have like a special teams guy that outclasses all the others and puts up all these tackles, you know, like Derek yeah. Watt or Adrian Phillips back in the day. I think it's just going to be kind of combined performance if they are going to boost the special team. So if you get a Kyler Fackrell and you get a Ryan yeah. Smith and you get some of these guys that can contribute, you know, the net effect of that is pretty positive. Um, you know, I hope for, you know, his sake and the Chargers sake that he never has to play corner um, <laughs> because, you know, you go through some of those PFF advanced stats for what he played 400, 500 snaps, not the best quality, but uh, for, for the price they signed him at for the role that he should be projected to have. And we think they're all going to draft another corner uh, pretty high in this draft. I have no problem with the signing uh, and it seems like it helps out quite a bit. Yeah, I have no problem with it either. I believe I could be wrong, but I believe when you look at the snap counts for him, they drafted him in the fourth round, and then you know they started to ease him in a little bit, and then they just took away all his defensive snaps. So yeah. I feel like that kind of tells you what he was like at corner. I've not watched him. This to me is just like their their Avery Williams replacement, where they were looking at you know meeting with Avery Williams to potentially draft him at some point, the uh, DB special teams guy from Boise State. Maybe they do, but now they don't have to worry about it as much, I suppose. But still, like I, a little more help is good, and they have another player, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, Faison's gone, so I guess this is kind of like what Faison was doing at some point. Well, Faison's still on the team. They they did resign Faison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <Woo-hoo. laughs> uh, so I mean, I, I'll expect you know those guys to have a competition. Him, Tavon Campbell, and uh, I think what's his name, uh, John Brandon is still on the team. Uh, so I, he'll probably be on the practice squad. Um, but I think this is a fine signing, and I do expect them to, you know, maybe add one more depth slash special teams guy, maybe a linebacker, maybe a safety kind of player. Yeah. Um, because they can't rebuild all the special teams in the draft, right? Like they've got to get some veteran presences out there. And uh, and they've done that with Kyler Fackrell and Ryan uh, Williams. So uh, we're going to move on to our offensive tackle conversation. Uh, before we do that, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Uh, you know, they've been a great partner for us and they've got a lot of great products to make sure that you guys are feeling your best for the summer months that are coming up. You can use the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your order. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your order. All right, let's get to these offensive line conversations. Um, I'm going to start if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Yeah, you can start. This is this is your day. <laughs> this is your special day. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to we're going to start with the offensive tackles and I think you know, enough people know how I feel about Elijah Vera Tucker. You know, I've, I've talked about him every chance I get on social media, and I've done a film breakdown on, on him. Um, but when it comes to the Chargers, I do think that they would view him as a guard because of his arm length. We had a similar conversation about Rayshon Slater, uh, mm-hmm. and then Rayshon Slater was able to kind of meet that uh, minimum of 33-inch arms to kind of be perceived as a tackle first, uh, and then, you know, interior later, depending on on team need. Um, so I do think that the Chargers would view Elijah Vera Tucker at guard as much as that pains me to admit. Um, so my pound the table guy here is actually going to be Texas offensive tackle Samuel Cosme. Uh, and the evaluations on Samuel Cosme are all over the map. You know, some of the guys at the draft network think that he should be uh, a player that the Chargers consider at 13 overall. Some player, some analysts at like Pro Football Focus and Pro Football Network think he's a second round tackle and, and could be available at like 50. Like it, it, it's all over the map. I believe in Samuel Cosme. And to me, you know, when you look at his film, like he does have some technical issues uh, and he did play down a little bit to competition this last season, which was a little frustrating to watch. Uh, and that's kind of where that inconsistency uh, in technique kind of happens. He has a little bit of a tendency to latch on as opposed to bring a diverse hand placement package to the table. But when it comes to Samuel Cosme, I think all of his inconsistencies and all of his technical errors are correctable. What you can't teach with Samuel Cosme is a 6'7 frame and arguably the second best athlete in the class. I think when you're talking about athleticism for the offensive tackles, I think Panay Sewell is in a tier of his own, really in, in, in any kind of conversation about offensive tackles. Uh, but that's just me. And so I think Samuel Cosme, I think he has the second highest upside of this class. I think Rayshon Slater is a fine, fine player. I would take him over Samuel Cosme. But, you know, if we're projecting five, six years down the road and I have to choose between someone being a, a legitimate top five tackle, I'm probably going to take a bet on Samuel Cosme just because of his physical upside. Uh, I think he tested in like the 98th percentile for offensive tackles. He's got great length, great size. I love the way that he plays football. He's got a really nice mean streak. Again, it's just a little bit of fine tuning with the techniques. 
And I think if you can pair him with an offensive line coach who can fix those, then you've got a goldmine offensive tackle who can develop into a legitimate, legitimate Pro Bowl, all pro tackle in five, six years. If the mistakes are correctable, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Why have they not been corrected the past three years since he's been a starter the past three years? No, I think that's I think that's a legitimate conversation and a legitimate question to be had. I, not that you would know. It just it, it's tough for me to say it like without being in that room. But right. it's also like hard to ignore the kind of dumpster fire of coaching that has been happening at Texas last year. Okay. Um, and you know there was always just this. Well, are they going to fire him? Are they not going to fire him? Are they going to fire him? Are they not going to fire him? And so. I think Texas was not a great situation for him to be in. You know, he, he followed Tom Herman. He was originally committed to Houston, followed him to Texas. And so I just, I'm not going to say like it was poor coaching. That's kind of what I assume. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think there are very few offensive line factories in, in college, right? Obviously, you have like Notre Dame, Ohio State, mm-hmm. uh, Alabama, which, you know, is for different reasons. And Texas has never really been that. So, I think with some NFL coaching, you know, he'll get in a good situation. And, you know, if he does fall past certain situations, I would love to see him. If he falls past the Chargers, rather, I would love to see him go to Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis would be a fantastic situation for him. Getting to play next to Quentin Nelson will be uh, a huge advantage for him. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they've got a really good, you know, track record in the recent years of developing offensive line play. So I love Samuel Cosme. I know some people are really low on him. If the Chargers took him at 13, if Rayshon Slater was off the board, uh, then I would consider that. I, I, I'm not expecting him to come in and be like an instant starter, an instant impact guy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like being a positive starter. I would expect him to start on the Chargers, obviously, because I'm not starting Trey Pipkins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there will be a, a little bit of a grace period for Samuel Cosme. And I look at somebody like Garrett Bowles, right? You know, Garrett Bowles, very similar conversation. A uh, little inconsistent with techniques, had a had a, a big struggle with penalties, as I know, as a former Utah guy. But you bet on the physical tools, and now Denver has a top five left tackle in the game because they were able to correct those mistakes. It took a couple years, um, and it took a couple offensive line coaches to do it. But you know, now that pick looks like a home run. He, I think he's the second highest paid left tackle in the game, and so I think that kind of outcome for Sam and Cosme is very possible. Uh, for my pound the table guy, I'm going to go with the guy you mentioned, uh, Rashawn Slater. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't have said it a month ago because a month ago I didn't think he would be there uh, at 13, but now I think there is a possibility that he's right. there at 13 because you did have this Niners trade, which they're going to take another quarterback. We think there might be three receivers probably in that top 12 ish. Uh, if you count, you know, Waddle chase, uh, and Devonta Smith plus Kyle Pitts, plus the cornerbacks, right? So I think there's a legitimate possibility that Sewell may be the only offensive lineman in that top 12, you know. Uh, I think the Giants could be a threat to take him, and there maybe Carolina, you mentioned I know today, Stephen. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I think if he's there at 13, uh, I, I might even consider trading up like one or two spots to take him if that's what it takes. Uh, I think he's really impressive as a tackle prospect. Um, I, you know, view him as the second best in this class, uh, and I don't have him that far behind Sewell. Uh, I know Daniel Jeremiah outright said he's better than Panay Sewell, uh, yeah. which which I think was a, a bold take. But I don't disagree with it um, necessarily. I mean, you do have that athleticism he has. You know, he can stop Chase Young and a you know guy like that in his tracks. Uh, I think he would work very well in a kind of West Coast offense situation. And he has that versatility that Brandon Staley has craved and the Chargers coaching staff has craved. Um, if it doesn't work out at tackle for him, you can put him at guard, uh, similar to sort of the Elijah Vera Tucker conversation. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways that you could use um, uh, Rayshon Slater. And if he is there available at 13, I just feel like it kind of has to be the pick. Absolutely. Rayshon Slater at 13 would be a home run. Like, I would be so, so happy if that is the case. And, you know, I, I was just doing a draft profile on Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, you know, for the LAFB network. And I think the biggest difference between his future at tackle and uh, Rayshon Slater's future at tackle is that Rayshon Slater is a bona fide technician. Like he brings a very yeah. diverse package mm-hmm. to the table and that's how he was able to, to beat Chase Young. And so to me, you know, everybody kind of wants to talk about Elijah Vera Tucker against Oregon and, and Kayvon Thibodeau and maybe that kind of exposing Vera Tucker's lack of length or lack of athleticism to me, 
that exposed the fact that Vern Tucker had only played tackle for six games, right? <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. you look at somebody, how you beat an, ath- an athlete like that is you bring a diverse hand placement package to the table and keep him guessing. Uh, and that's what Rayshon Slater was able to do to Chase Young. He brought a very diverse package to the table and he was able to win that way. I think he's a fantastic athlete. And I think he definitely fits the kind of outside zone scheme, bootleg play action kind of stuff that I think the Chargers are going to be running. So mm-hmm. Ray Sean Slater at 13 would be would be a home run pick. Uh, and what we'll, we'll talk about, you know, in our mock draft episode next time about kind of the scenarios that have to happen for him to be available. But uh, yeah. I, I love Ray Sean Slater as well. Yeah, for my guy, I had to think about this one because I like like eight or nine tackles in this yeah. class. Granted, <laughs> not at 13, but it's like, who'd you pound the table for? It's like, I don't know, anybody at different points. Like that guy at 13, <laughs> that got to trade up for, that got to trade yeah. back for, that got to trade from the second round for, like all of them at certain yeah. points. But I have to circle back around to, you know, a guy who I've liked the entire process that we do need to obviously consider, and that's Christian Derisaw, because I also think at the core of what the Chargers are doing with their offense, Branson, from some Shanahan scheme, whatever, I think that works for the outside zone blocking and play action pass. And I think Derisaw, Derisaw, Derisaw <laughs> can give the Chargers a really good chance to do that in that regard with the mobility and the physicality to make that work. But he's kind of the reverse Rayshon Slater, where as a pass protector, I, I definitely see those concerns, not as urgent as Slater, of course, but I think as Steven, as you pointed out before, as Jordan Reed has pointed out, he kind of plays at his own tempo. And I think if yeah. he's pushed to pick up at that pace at the next level, and he will be, I still think he has the physical tools to, to grow. And, you know, he has grown you know, I mean, as a guy who had only one power five offer coming out of high school as a three-star recruit. He's gotten better every single year, you know, whether that be now allowing zero sacks to zero quarterback pits this past year, or, I know I know it's not the Bible for everyone, but, you know, pro football focus is great. has gone up every single year. Yep. You know, and if Tevin Jenkins had his Osai game, then Christian Derrissaw had his like Roche game where, you know, right. Roche, a guy who has the bend and the speed and really did a number on Leatherwood at the senior bowl, you know, was blanked against Derrissaw. So, you know, he fits what the Chargers want to do. I think we've seen him play this year. He's actually a left tackle and he's built with the frame that the Chargers would actually want a left tackle. Um, he's only improved and I think he will do so at the next level. The only, con- not the only concern, I hate that pro football focus is comp for him is Eric Flowers because that did not work. Oh. That's that is just like completely inaccurate. I I hate that comp. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> um. You know I I've been asked about Darisaw a lot, obviously, and mm-hmm. so you know I would be thrilled with the pick, right? Because it, yeah. it means that the Chargers are investing a premier uh, draft pick in a premier position, and I think Christian Darisaw is going to be a fine offensive tackle. He just wouldn't be my first choice, and that's okay. I, I still have a first round grade on him. I would still yeah. be very happy with the pick. Um, some people have asked me like, Oh, do you think he's lazy? Like, do you think he's, you know, lackadaisical and without being in the room, I'm never going to call an offensive lineman lazy. That's just mm-hmm. not something I'm going to do. Uh, you know, for me, you know, he plays at his own pace and he controls his own pace and that's what I will say. And if that pace allows him to be an all pro tackle, then I'm all for it. Um, I do want to see more urgency out of him. Um, but you know, we were talking last year with Jason about quarterbacks and how Jalen Hurts was higher on our board because he had always improved. Every single year you saw him take positive steps forward as a thrower of the football. And Christian Derrissaw has that same kind of track record, right? Like he's improved every single year in the ACC, which has great pass rushers. Uh, and that improvement matters. And that obviously led to him being a, a potential first-round pick. So <laughs> I like how you mentioned that there's so many offensive tackles in this class that I like. You know, I have eight in my top 50. I have eight first round grades. It's it's a very deep class. I'm a fan of all of these. Um, let's let's switch gears for a second to talk about some players that, uh, again, we don't necessarily agree with their evaluations or agree with their uh, agree with their tape. You know, the player that I'm lowest on in this offensive tackle class uh, is Jalen Mayfield. Um, I, I just I, I don't understand. You know, Daniel Jeremiah has him in, like, I think, like 23 on his top 50, and, and the draft network has him consistently being taken in the 20s. I don't see it. I, I see a physical player, but I also see a slow player, and I also see a player who is not very urgent in his run blocking. He's not very urgent in his pass sets. He's not very diverse in his pass sets. And so for me, like, I, I watched him in the first game. I was like, this guy needs to be a guard. Like, he needs to switch to the inside. Uh, and that's where I have him graded. It's just a little tough because unlike Elijah Vera Tucker and Rayshon Slater, like we haven't seen him play guard. So his evaluation is tricky for me. I don't agree with him being a first round tackle. I just don't. 
And then he went out and had a horrendous pro day. Like that's one of those where you're like, okay, like this makes sense. I'm not seeing an elite athlete and the test numbers show me a player who's not very athletic. So I don't understand Jalen Mayfield very much at all. I think he would be a much better guard at the next level than a tackle. Yeah, I only watched, I think the best part for him and his grade right now is the fact that I just only watched one game from 2020, the Minnesota (laughs) game. I know he played only one other game anyway. So I am assuming that he did not have a great 2019 season, correct? I watched him play against Ohio State, and you know those pass rushers gave him a lot of fits with speed to power rushes, speed rushes. Yeah. Uh, granted, you know that was Chase Young and company. So, <laughs> but still, like you know, when you compare first round tackles, right? Like you see Rayshon Slater do really, really well against Ohio State, and then you see Jalen Mayfield just yeah, got, good call, got wrecked. So, like I'd be okay with taking a shot on him, like in the back end of the second round as a tackle. But for me, like if I'm drafting him in the first round, like if I'm Chicago or somebody like that and he's the best offensive lineman on the board, I would take him and put him at guard. I would not put him at tackle. Okay. Yeah, um, my sort of sell guy, I I don't know if I want to say sell or or guy that I don't quite get is uh, the stock on James Hudson uh, from Cincinnati. He's kind of projected to be about a second-round pick now. Um, I think he's somewhere in the 60s on Draft Network. So if the Chargers really wanted to draft him, it would have to be the second round um, because he probably won't fall back to them. So, you know, and we t- this has kind of increased with the cornerback discussion, right? If the Chargers do go cornerback in the first round, then they likely have to take a tackle in round two. Um, and my problem with Hudson is that he's a little bit raw. Um, I, I think his footwork, his, his hand technique is a little bit rough. Um, and I don't expect him to be a starter in year one. So that kind of brings up a problem that, like, you know, if you're taking corner in the first round, if you're going to another position, then that's, you know, it can, can be problematic. Uh, I think if you do take a Darasaw or a Slater or a Vera Tucker in the first round, then I think it becomes defendable to then maybe take him in round two. Yeah. But then that, you know, that kind of brings up the fact that you're not addressing your other positions in the draft, right? Like cornerback uh, in the second round. So, um he had a rough game against disease uh, Ojolari, um, unfortunately, in that Peach Bowl. You know, it's not the end of the world. Again, disease Ojolari, as we've all said, is super good um, and I think is going to have a heck of an NFL career. Uh, but I just feel like he's a year away from being a year away. And with the position the Chargers are in right now, I don't think they can use a premier pick in the second round on a tackle that is probably a little bit further out from playing. I don't think he's quite a Pipkins developmental project by any means at all. Um, But I do think he really struggles with uh, certain pass sets and what, for what the chargers are going for this year. I just don't think they can invest a really high pick on a player like James Hudson. Yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Can you guys hear me? I can't hear myself. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) the voices. Uh, So yeah, I I understand the concerns for sure. I, I don't think he's a year away from a year away. I think he's a year away or so. There's no way I would like the, the him being the, the plan B for left tackle would be a catastrophe, but uh, you know, if they go left tackle and then they decide to double dip and take Mm. Hudson and then let him be the right tackle, that's fine. But, but yeah, yeah, I I completely understand the concerns of, of him being, um, you know, like a starter left tackle this season. I just don't think he's two years away, but who knows? Yeah, I don't think he's two years away. And and to be fair about the Peach Bowl, he only played like one quarter and then uh, he got ejected for that bullshit targeting penalty. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of James Hudson. I think that he's got a lot of upside, but you are right. Like there is a lot of development that is needed there because he's only played offensive tackle for one season. I, to my knowledge, he did not play offensive tackle in high school, he went to Michigan as a defensive end or defensive tackle uh, and then transferred to Cincinnati to play offensive line. So he's only gotten like 12 games in the senior bowl as a tackle. Right. So I, I think he's a year away. If the Chargers, you know, in their situation had the luxury of like not needing a cornerback or an edge rusher and they could take Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round or Rayshon Slater in the first round and then get James Hudson in the second round, I think that would be acceptable. But, you know, I would have an issue as much as I like him. Like you take a corner in the first round and you take James Hudson to be your day one left tackle. Like that is where I'm like, okay, I, I don't agree. Yeah. So, so we are on the same page in that regard. I, I do think that James Hudson has a lot of potential. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll talk about that kind of scenario where they take a, a corner in round one and 
which offensive tackle they could target in the second round. Um, but I do think that in that scenario, that's not very fair to James Hudson. They would probably have to go out and get an Alejandro Villanueva as much as that, you know, just does not vibe with me. Um, but James Hudson has a, should not be a day one offensive tackle. He should come in as a swing tackle, have a year to develop, uh, and then be able to take over for someone in, in his uh, second year. Mm-hmm. All so, right. So the, go ahead, Ed. go ahead, Tyler. Sorry. Yeah, cool. Uh, so I've, the guy I'm, I'm lower on again, like I, I would take him at 47. I just, I'm, I've kind of been low on the whole Alex Leatherwood train since I first watched him. That hasn't changed, but I mean, he was a guy that was considered like at 13. Then it was like, okay, maybe like mid first yeah. and maybe like late first. And he's kind of drifted back there, but there is still some first round buzz. I mean, he played for Alabama and won a national championship. He just tested incredibly well at his pro day. So yeah. You know, but my, my issues with him are really just one, I think he actually could be a better guard. And two, I just think he's just too stiff, you know, to truly mirror those creative rushers at the next level. You know, we talked about Quincy Roche. He gave him a hard time. Looks like the speed was a little bit too much for him. I still like him in the second round. Like, there are still things I like about him for sure. I just don't like him in that first round buzz that he's getting. Um, I wouldn't even hate him at 47, but people are talking about him between the 20s and like early 30s. And I just think that's a bit rich. Yeah, I do think that there's a chance that he is on the board at 47. And if that's the pick, like, you know, I'd be okay with that. You know, yeah. it's frustrating, you know, because we were just talking about Christian Darrison and how much he's improved. You know, Alex Lillard had like a borderline first round, second round grade last year. And then he didn't improve that much this year, even though he somehow managed to convince people that he was the best offensive lineman in the country. And he won that uh, outline or not mm-hmm. Outlanders Highlanders award. I can't remember. He won the best he won the best offensive tackle award in mm-hmm. college football, which Panay won in 2019. But I, I just didn't see much development. I saw somebody who, again, I'm not going to use the word lazy because I'm not in that room. But it just didn't feel like the regular season challenged him as much mm. as as you would have liked. You know, I thought Aziz Ojolari gave him a lot of problems in that matchup, and you highlighted Quincy Roche and. You know, if you're going to struggle against, you know, some high level speed rushers every once in a while, like that's acceptable. You know, even Teron Armstead and, and Lane Johnson and those guys struggle every once in a while. But I just didn't feel like Alex Leatherwood was as tuned in as I would have hoped. You know, you watch Landon Dickerson on that same line and he is balls to the wall on every single play. And even Deontay Brown, like for all his deficiencies, tries hard. Alex Leatherwood, I just felt like I just wanted to see more. And especially, like I said last year, he had a borderline first-round grade. I just was hoping for more, uh, and I, we didn't get it. And, like, that's okay. Second-round player, that's fine. Um, I just wanted – I was hoping for some more development, and we didn't get it. Alex, any thoughts on Alex Leatherwood? Um, I like Alex Leatherwood. I wouldn't completely t- hate taking him at uh, 47. Um to me, the option that I really have come to like at 47 more, though, is someone like Brady Christensen, um, who I think could be there. Um, I, I just think there are better options for the 47th pick and guys that have higher upside. But I do think, you know, if, if they take a Leatherwood, I mean, it's, it's a dramatic upgrade over Pipkins. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that should be I don't know if that should be the standard. Um, but yeah. I definitely have my issues with him. But if they decided to take him in the second round, I can't say that I would really hate it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, let's get to our sleepers. I think uh, my sleeper that I want to bring up here is Spencer Brown. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, COVID wrecked a lot of things and it canceled his 2020 season outright. I think if he had had a 2020 season, we might be having a conversation where Spencer Brown is probably a second round pick and and he might be just because of the positional value. But, you know, I think as somebody who could potentially go in like the third round, I think he's got you know, the chance to really outkick that, that coverage, so to speak. I think, you know, when you talk about athletic profile, he's got everything in the bag. He's a former tight end. Uh, I think he's listed at six, eight and a half, and he's really got a high level athletic profile. And I want to say he tested, you know, in the 97th, 96th percentile for offensive tackles. So there's a lot of upside there as a former tight end. You can see like how that has influenced him. Like, you know, you want to look at, you know, stances and right away you see him have more of like (laughs) a, a very narrow tight end stance. And like, that's okay. Like that's correctable. Um, But there are definitely some instances where he struggles with 
uh, speed is power. That was kind of the big thing at the senior bowl mm. uh, that gave him a lot of trouble. You know, Dalen Hayes gave him a lot of trouble. Uh, so did Jonathan Cooper. And so he definitely needs some development again. I wish he would have had a 2020 season. So we, we could see him develop a little more. Uh, I just, he needs to fill out his frame. That's the main thing. I just need to see him add some more functional strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but as somebody that you could draft in like the third round, maybe potentially even like pick number 97, I think that's a great situation for the Chargers and somebody that, you know, after they move on from Brian Balaga next year, well, theoretically, you know, you can have Spencer Brown step in and then you have two young bookend tackles who are have a ton of upside, uh, hopefully. <laughs> and and you, I think you can count on Spencer Brown as somebody who can really come in and make an impact in year two, year three, uh, and and really show out. Yeah, I like the idea as a, as a not a project. I mean, he's kind of a project. The only thing is that like Hayes and Cooper aren't that good of edge rushers. So yeah, I'm a little worried yeah. about that. <laughs> no, it's again, it's it's a very you know a poor man Sam Cosme, right? Like very athletic, okay, very high level, you know, athletic profile, uh, but definitely needs some more development technique. And he he's a year or two away from having an NFL body, which I think is mm. like the biggest thing there. Gotcha. Um, but there's this play that I watched on film. You know, he was he was playing right tackle, right? And they ran a screen to the left side. And instead of pulling the left tackle out, they pulled Spencer Brown all the way to the other side. And he went out and laid somebody out. So his wow. athletic profile is insane. But again, it's just like he needs a year, maybe two, to really, you know, become an NFL tackle. Gotcha. Nice. Um, yeah, the guy that I sort of like as a potential sleeper is Adrian Ely. Uh, from Oklahoma he's someone that I think is going to go in the fifth or sixth round so hopefully by this point the Chargers have picked another tackle <laughs> um, you know who, who knows with what they'll do in the end um, fire truck uh, okay anyway uh, he has a really long uh, kind of body he is six 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 and a half and uh, he has really long arms too I think he has like the seventh longest arms in this class so it makes it like really hard to get around him as a pass rusher um, I do think he's still raw, right? It's kind of the same thing I mentioned with James Hudson. Difference is you're taking James Hudson in the second round versus taking Ely in the fifth or sixth. Um, and so I think he's a developmental offensive tackle. So if you do take your uh, Rashawn Slater or you take your Christian Darasol in the first round, I think he's a great guy that can kind of develop um, pretty well. I mean, really, it's kind of like what you were saying with Spencer Brown, right? It, a lot of it is growing into that body, right? Like you could probably put on 10, 15 pounds, right? And then, you know, you could really see that uh, athleticism and his profile really soar. Um, so I think that's just kind of a increasing functional strength thing. Uh, and he's really good uh, against sort of uh, second level defenders. Uh, and I think that it's really just going to be about how he improves in the run game a little bit. But I think he's a prospect that if you're on day three and the Chargers feel like they need more depth there, which they do, um, I think Adrian Ely is a good guy to get. Absolutely. I think Adrian Ely, Deontay Smith are, are very similar in that regard. Same with Jalen Moore from uh, Western Michigan. Uh, Deontay Smith is from Eastern Carolina. So I think you have some options there, you know, in the fifth, sixth round to, to potentially upgrade over, you know, Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton. Uh, Tyler, who is your sleeper here? And then we'll move on to the interior offensive lineman. All right. So for my sleeper, I'm going to go with a guy who's projected to go like day three, but could be off some boards entirely. He has everything you want as a football player and that he does everything well. He's a mean machine, always looking for work. But at this point in the draft, hey, it's a dart throw. So, you know, why look any further than a guy who got it done in college at a high level, but he hasn't played the position since 2018. I'm going to piggyback what we were talking about yesterday and go with Trey Smith from Tennessee. I get the oh. issues of position in medicals. You know, you, you talked about Botch Lombardi said he was a tackle. Um, he played guard the past two seasons, but he's 6'5", 320. And apparently his RAS score was counted against other offensive tackles. And he's the 23rd best score out of the past 1,100 tackles since 1987. Can he start week one? Hell no. But should you develop him and take that gamble? Sure, why not? Like, I think he has more upside, even though he was a guard. And he's probably a better guard anyway. But like, why not take this shot on this guy who was actually a really like a guy who could go in like the 20s in the first round if he had no medical issues? Like, I don't know. I'm willing to take that shot. Honestly, it's a sleeper pick. It's a developmental pick. It's day three. Why not? You know, Trey Smith, that's an interesting one because he did take reps at tackle at the senior ball as well. So um, he's definitely got like the build and the profile and the length. 
And I love Trey Smith as a guard. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're getting that kind of player who can come in and do some very similar things as Elijah Vera Tucker and play tackle on a pinch, I think that is a really interesting pitch. Um, Before we move on to the interior guys, I want, I want to know where you guys stand on Walker little, because I think he's Mm -hmm. a player who potentially could be like a third round selection. I think some people, you know, have been kind of banking on his, talent because at the time uh, like of the last time he played like he was considered as somebody who could potentially be a first round pick in the future uh and he played one game in 2019 and not a single game in 2020 uh so where do you guys land on walker little and like where would you be okay with the chargers taking him i i wouldn't mind the pick it it really is about where it is because you know i don't think walker little should be the first tackle they take off the board because then you're kind of banking a lot on a guy who hasn't played in two years, right? Yeah. Um, and then has had the injuries he's had. Um, I don't expect them to be long-term issues for him, but he's still yeah. going to need to obviously get back into the you know um, season of playing more games and all that, right? Um, you know, he, he's going to go from not playing at all, opting out in 2020, to playing 17 games <laughs> in a new NFL if the Chargers draft him in the second round um, or potentially as high as that. So I wouldn't hate it, but there, there is definitely an injury concern and maybe less of an injury concern and more of a uh, conditioning concern, I guess for me and seeing, you know, how, how exactly is it going to work with him uh, coming into the NFL, especially in, in this season where, you know, there's going to be uh, a lot of moments where, you just kind of have to see how it plays out. Um, but I don't know. I, I like Walker Little, but I definitely think they need to take a tackle before him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm saying absolutely have to take a tackle before him. Um, I like the idea of taking him. Someone that can gamble on him and go for it, fine. But I wouldn't take him until the second, third round pick. Just because I think that, definitely not the first round pick. There are way too many other players that I would like more at the second round pick. And I'd probably like a lot more players that are kind of more proven with that first third round pick. So if you want to take him with that second comp or the first comp pick, fine. But otherwise, like I, I, I wouldn't really take much earlier than that. Yeah. I think, you know, talent wise, like he, he probably is worth the, the pick at 47, but it's just yeah. weighing the risk of like, you know, like Alex was saying, he hasn't played football in two years pretty much. And so I think in a perfect world, you know, if the chargers had maybe kept, you know, Casey Hayward and didn't need an edge rusher so bad, like then I can maybe understand it in the second round. I think in the Chargers' unique case, like I, I probably wouldn't take him until the third round. Um, 77 would be the earliest I would take him for the Chargers. That being said, you know, a team like the Colts, who, you know, could take a chance, that kind of chance, because they have a player yep. like Sam Tevy, as much as, you know, play, people <laughs> don't like Sam Tevy, like they have a one year placeholder yep. and they could take a shot on a guy like Walker Little, who, like I said, you know, he was the Pac 12 offensive lineman in the year as a freshman and was a five-star recruit and played some really great football for Stanford. Um, I just, it's a little too risky for my taste for the chargers in the second round. Um, especially if you're looking at, you know, an Alex Leatherwood who's played high level football recently, Brady Christensen, even James Hudson. Like I, I think Walker is a little too risky for the, for pick 47, but I did want to have that conversation because a lot of people have, have been asking me about him. So um, let's move on to the interior offensive lineman. So before we get there, get to that point, I don't really have a player that uh, I don't necessarily agree with. I think this interior offensive lineman, and you're looking at second, third round picks most of the time. Mm-hmm. So there's not really like, you know, a player that I don't get. So instead I'm going to personally talk about two sleepers because Tyler and Alex each have a player that they are going to talk about uh, being a kind of a, a sell candidate. Um, but my guy that I'm pounding the table for is Landon Dickerson. And <laughs> I've loved seeing these pro days at Alabama because <laughs> personality that is coming out like the cargos yeah. yesterday was hilarious um but i think you know medical risks included i think you can take landon dickerson and he might not be able to play for 10 years in the nfl because of those medical risks but i think you you draft landon dickerson and you get a day one starter at either center or left guard right guard uh he was able to he was he was a tackle in high school played tackle mm-hmm. at florida state so he could realistically play all five positions in the NFL. He's massive. Uh, Cole Kubelich, like told us or told me rather that he's taller than Alex Leatherwood. He doesn't have as long as arms as Alex Leatherwood, but he is taller. And so I love the way that he plays football, man. And he's so physical. 
can really you know push people off the ball and, and is very mobile in the second level. And he's just a very violent football player. And I think if you take away the medical risks, you know, you're looking at a, a Quentin Nelson type of player, like somebody that can yeah. really be a bully on the offensive line. And that positional versatility is huge. So again, you know, if you're looking at him in the second round, I think it's worth the risk because, you know, you're not taking him to be a franchise left tackle. You're not taking him to be, you know, a 10 year player. You're really baking on, you know, six to eight years of high level into your offensive line play. And I think that's worth a second round pick. So I love Len Dickerson. Uh, he was my first prospect that I broke down via, you know, through our film. And so I think Landon Dickerson is going to be a great, great player in the NFL. Uh, and I would take him on any team in the second round. His stock has just done nothing but go up other than yeah. the fact that he hurt himself. Uh, everyone just seems to be falling in love with this guy. The, some of the projections for him are that he's like the best lineman in the draft at any position period. I've seen that thrown around. It's like, okay, um, I don't agree with that, but I think yeah. there's like a legit conversation that he is one of the best linemen at his position. If you don't look at any of the injuries and whatnot, I am just a huge, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of his, your breakdown was great, but also the interview with Cole, Cole Kubelik, I believe. Yeah. Where he says that it's not, I mean, as a transfer, he goes to Alabama and when he goes down, you know, another scout or someone told uh, Cole Kubelik that, you know, it's not that they just lost their, you know, their offensive lineman. It's not that they just lost the leader of their offense. Like they lost the leader of the Alabama football team. And for him yeah. to have that kind of praise, I think says a lot um, and you just see that infectious personality, even in those pro days, like those cartwheels. You know, so for such a talented player, such a charismatic guy who is clearly a leader, I mean, he, I, I wish he wasn't hurt. Like, it sucks that injuries exist yeah. because guys like this deserve to go in the first round. I, and I think he will. But if he's there at 47, I'm, I might just scrap pretty much every other plan I had for a defensive player because his upside is enormous. I agree. Alex, any thoughts on Lana Dickerson? Uh, and if not, who is your guy that you're pounding the table for? Uh, I like Landon Dickerson, uh, but to not sound repetitive, uh, I'm going to go with a different guy. I went with uh, Ben Cleveland. Um, he's kind of going to be fourth, fifth round guy because he's not the best uh, athlete, right? I don't think he's quite as athletic as Landon Dickerson, who you know is doing cartwheels at Mac Jones's <laughs> pro day after tearing his ACL. Um, that's not quite Ben Cleveland, but. Yeah. Uh, I do think he can develop into a really good starter and the chargers have kind of positioned themselves to take someone who's a bit uh, of a developmental guard because you do have Filer and you do have Lindsley now and you have a Bushi. So you can have someone who doesn't need to start uh, from the jump. I think in terms of a guard now in the draft um, with what they did in free agency, at least uh, he's not the best athlete, like I said, but mm-hmm. he does have really good technique. Uh, and that's something that just kind of shows up on film all the time with him. Um, and I, yeah, I think he's a really good finisher in particular. He he knows how to kind of just finish uh, off a play, finish off a rep. Uh, and I think that's a really important skill. You know, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to develop to be more athletic, but I think he is kind of going to come into the NFL and play it can play in the, you know, variable schemes, whether it's kind of West coast offense or a power running scheme. Uh, I think he can develop into a pretty good starter. Um, I, I also like Landon Dickerson a lot, but for the capital that you would have to spend on a Ben Cleveland, he may be the, you yeah. know, better investment, you know, obviously just cause you're spending less on him. Um, but yeah, Landon Dickerson, if he's in the second round, you know, kind of a sign me up if he's there at pick 47. Yeah, you know, the human body is hilarious, right? Because Deontay Brown and uh, Ben Cleveland weigh the exact same. And wow. <laughs> they could not be more different as their physical profiles, man. So uh, I like Ben Cleveland a lot. And if you're in the fourth, fifth round and you're getting Cleveland, I think that's a great pick. I think, you know, when you're coming back around to that first pick on day three, like I, I always see, you know, Ben Cleveland and Aaron Banks. And I think both of those players would, would make a lot of sense. Uh, Tyler, who is your pound the table player for the interior offensive line? Uh, we already talked about him a little bit. It's Elijah Vera Tucker. I just think he's a freaking perfect Chargers left guard. If they, I mean, he'd be yeah. a pretty good tackle too, but he's just a freaking perfect left guard for them. Um, I think he's the best second level blocker of the entire interior offensive line class. Um, but unlike someone in, later in the draft, as you get to these third, fourth, fifth round guys, you know, who is either like nimble, but not strong at all, or just a, an anchor, but not nimble at all, like a Deontay Brown. Vera Tucker is also nimble and has the strength to get it done. Yeah. So I like him more as a guard. I'm not, I'm not knocking as a tackle by saying that. I just love him as a guard. 
I love Elijah Vera Tucker, man. And I will talk about Elijah Vera Tucker any chance I get. Um, to me, you know, outside of Sewell and Slater, I think Vera Tucker is the safest offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, maybe a little bit, the Chargers probably don't think view him as a tackle. But I think if you take Elijah Vera Tucker, you have the flexibility to then take, you know, a second round shot on, on, a, on another tackle. You can double dip. You know, you can take a James Hudson, let Elijah Vera Tucker start at left tackle for his rookie season, and then James Tux- Hudson can kind of take over in year two, and you can move Elijah Vera Tucker inside. And so I've kind of made this compar- comparison a few times uh, to Elgton Jenkins from the Packers, somebody who can play center, guard, tackle, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, start at guard and be a really high-level player, and then in a pinch, if you need to, can move to center or guard or tackle. And so I love Elijah Vera Tucker, man, and I'm – even if he's not a tackle for the Chargers, I think it'd be a great pick at 13 just because of his of his, how high of a floor he has. Um, so like I said, I don't have a player that I'm like don't agree with. So I'm gonna move this right to you guys. Uh Alex, who is a player that you just kind of you're you're selling as much as you can in terms of interior offensive linemen? Uh you, you mentioned it before, but it, it's it's the weight concern for me with Deontay Brown. Yeah. Um not to call him fat because I need to lose weight myself, but <laughs> I, I do think there is something to his game where he's just kind of not going to be built for a good, a good pass blocking scheme in the NFL. Like, you know, if some team like Detroit nabs him and that, you know, they've been all about with uh, Anthony Lynn and uh, you know, the guy who wants to bite kneecaps off. I can't remember his name. Uh, they all have been Dan Campbell. They've been all about, you know, they want to establish the running game and do all that. Um, I, I don't hate him as potentially a developmental pick for that team. Uh, but I think he, he just doesn't have like super good technique. And I think yeah. uh, even, you know, people are like, well, what if he lost like 20 pounds or something? I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I still don't think he would be the most versatile pass blocker. And, uh, you know, I, I just think when you consider what Staley, you know, wants, what Frank Smith wants, and I just don't know if, you know, Deontay Brown quite fits that mold of the other offensive linemen that they go after. Like, I just, you know, can't see Deontay Brown next to Corey Lindsley and Matt Filer. Like, it's yeah. just a weird picture in my head um, kind of thing. So uh, I don't hate him for another team. And I think he could have NFL potential. But I do think there are size concerns there. And I just think as a pass blocker, uh, I don't have a, a, a very high grade on him. And I probably would wait till like the fifth roundish before I would, you know, spend a pick on him. So that's kind of the guy I'm selling. And I know uh, Tyler at least has, has similar feelings about Deontay Brown. Well, I don't know what happened to Deontay Brown's stock because everyone started to love him because of that picture because he was big and fat. And then now the knocks are on him. The knock on him is big, and, big fat. and fat. Yeah. So what happened? Like, like a second round pick, to like a fifth round pick for the yeah. same. Like him and hate him. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Well, it's just, it's so hard for me to envision him being like, you know, a truly effective guard, right? Because, you know, it's not like the main thing that guards do, but so much of what, you know, teams are doing in the NFL require guards and centers to get to the second level. And Deontay Brown can't do that, like at all. And, you know, it, it was the senior bowl and I get that, but, you know, they called a screenplay for his team and he, and he tried to get out to the corner and he just couldn't. And like you literally see this running back catch the ball, look at Deontay Brown, and then he's just like you could just like <laughs> picture him like being like, oh shit, like I I have no chance of getting this blocker in front of me. Like I just gotta go make things happen. Yeah. And it's something that happened on tape too. You know, there were times when I'm watching Alabama and they're running to the left, and Deontay Brown pulls out to the left, Landon Dickerson pulls out to the left, and Landon Dickerson has to run past Deontay Brown because he's in the way. <laughs> so yeah, it's not the end all be all right. Like you, you can put him into a power scheme like the Ravens or like the Lions and he'll be OK. But because of his lack of athleticism, like he's never going to be a great, great player. And, you know, Chargers fans love to say like, oh, he's nasty. Like we need some nasty. Yeah, but the Chargers are going to be running a lot of outside zone schemes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Deontay Brown should stay as far away as possible from Los Angeles because like 50 percent of what outside zones require are into your offensive lineman who can get to the second level. And you just talked about Elijah Vera Tucker being the best second level player. I think Deontay is <laughs> the worst second level player. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm not interested in him really like 
even in like the fifth round, I think I probably wouldn't take him to the sixth or seventh, to be honest, unless I knew like he was playing at 310. Like you got to lose 40 pounds for me to like be yeah. in on, on Deontay Brown. But then there's the conversation of like, well, does that sap his strength? Like, are you taking away his power, which is his best attribute? So I, I'm just not in on Deontay Brown, and I hate to turn this into like a Deontay Brown <laughs> tirade, but you know, I, I just I think it needs to be addressed because so many people think that the Chargers should take him, and I, I just I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, I think uh, if we had not told each other who we were taking, we would have probably all taken Deontay Brown. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. because I knew who we were taking anyway, um, I went with Quinn Miners. It's like Darden. It's like Leatherwood, where it's not that I don't like them. I just am, I'm, well, for him, I'm terrified of his meteoric rise where he's getting some like early second round talk. You know, look at the senior bowl. He was probably, he probably had the best senior bowl practice of, uh, of uh, days of anyone there, but I can't overlook the fact that he's just kind of an average athlete. And then, you know, the lunging and the overextending to make blocks that kind of works at, you know, Wisconsin, Whitewater, whatever the hell is, you know, it makes for great highlights, but you're going to need a little bit more refinement to, you know, be considered a second round kind of guy for me. So, and then that, yeah, we have to talk about the fact that the competition level was, you know, was low. So, you know, I think he's a good fit in the third. I'm just worried about him at like 47. Yeah. You know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah put him in his top 50 recently, which I'm just like, I like his senior bowl performance, man. And I think he's a fun player. Like sure. having an offensive lineman wear a crop top to practice. Like that's cool. That's <laughs> funny. You know, he's got a good personality, but yeah. You know, second round, like there are Rams fans, obviously, you know, I, I work with LAFB and obviously they cover the Rams and there are Rams people who like want them to take Quinn Miners at 57. And I, I just can't get there. Like, yeah, you know, you're talking about risk here as well. And yeah, it's not the second round or it is the second round rather, but you know, you're not taking him in the first round, but the Rams would be taking him with their first pick of the draft. And so oh, wow, uh, to me, I just like, I can't get there. And yeah. he didn't have a 2020 season. Yeah, he played really well at the Senior Bowl, and he trained with Duke Mannyweather, which is important for a lot of people these days. But uh, I just can't get there for a second-round evaluation on Quinn Miners. Uh, yeah, I mean, Quinn Miners is kind of the star of the Senior Bowl and all that. And, you know, that's kind of my phrase. He seems like a nice guy, but I'm not going to take him <laughs> too high. Um, my sleeper guy that I like a lot is uh, Sidarius Hutchinson. Or, sorry, Hutcherson from South Carolina. Uh, he has four years of starting tackle experience, which I think is just obviously really good. You see very few draft players that actually have that. Um, yeah. And he's kind of has a lot of versatility, too. He's played left guard. He's played right guard. He's played uh, left tackle, too. Um, and we just talked about kind of versatility on the offensive line, how they haven't told Matt Filer, you know, what spot he's going to play. And they really haven't told that to Abushi either. Um, so, you know, the ability to just be put potentially anywhere on the offensive line, not going to be your one because I think he's ultimately a developmental guy because he's just kind of a sufficient athlete, which is why he's a sleeper. Um, I think draft network has him around 180 or so. So, you know, you're looking at him probably late fifth, early sixth round. Uh, I think is probably where you're taking him. Uh, I think he definitely needs to sort of get, you know, a little bit more refined in the run game. Uh, But to me, I think he has uh, it in the NFL, which is just being versatility, being able to pull. Um, and he has a really good anchor uh, as well. So if you're going to take a guy, I think in the sixth round for me, it's Sedarius uh, Hutcherson uh, out of South Carolina. Yeah. And that same kind of mold for me uh, is Robert Hainsey, who will check a lot of boxes for what the Chargers are looking for because he played at Notre Dame because he plays offensive tackle and he can be a very versatile piece as well. So um, I think he's probably a guard in the NFL, which is what he primarily did uh, at the senior bowl. I don't think uh, I haven't seen his measurements today. They just had their pro day uh, this morning. Um, but I do think he's probably a guard. And then he went down to the senior bowl and played some center as well. And so you're looking at a fourth, fifth round pick who can really being a, a swing offensive lineman is probably not a starter for you. Um, but somebody that can come in and play all five positions is very, very valuable for a team like the chargers who, need that kind of depth. And, you know, I look at him a very similar kind of athletic profile as like a Cole toner, you know, a little bit taller, not super long arms, but can play multiple positions along the offensive line. And we all know how Tom Telesco loves his Notre Dame players. You know, <laughs> Robert Hainsey was the captain of the offensive line and was credited as being, you know, the line Dickerson type of like the best leader up front. Uh, so I think Robert Hainsey checks a lot of boxes for what the chargers are looking for uh, and what the chargers need. 
Yeah, so for Sidarius Hutcherson, I wrote, wow, this dude is awful versus speed. And so, yeah, he'll <laughs> definitely make a better guard. He has a good anchor for sure. But like I said, some of those guys that have the, you know, the anchor, but not quite the, the nimbleness. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine at guard. I get that. Um, I'm really bummed that I did not get on the Hainsey thing sooner. Uh, I did not. I mean, I, I was just watching it as a tackle. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and then you mentioned him as an interior offensive uh, line guy that you were talking about. I'm like, oh, why? And then I looked at the the senior bowl stuff and and, and how quick he is as yeah. both a guard and as a center. And there's something there for sure. It just, he becomes so, it's like he moves inside and it's just, everything's natural for him there. And I think, I mean, that's a pretty good call. Where is he projected to go again? Right now, he, I, I see him mostly in like the fourth round because like you mentioned, he is quick, but he's not yeah. like perceived as athletic. And again, I haven't seen his number, his pro day numbers mm-hmm. uh, yet today, but I think he's got definitely a skill set where I'm interested in as an interior offensive lineman and somebody who could play tackle in a pinch. Uh, they already have yeah. Matt Filer. I think that's, you know, a very similar kind of evaluation, right? Somebody who can play guard and tackle and do both at a solid level, which is what frankly the Chargers need. They don't need, you know, these death pieces to have like the highest ceiling. They just need some players who could come in and and not, you know, tank the boat. And, and so I think Robert Hainsey uh, could definitely fit that mold. Nice. All right. So for my sleeper, I will go with Drew Dahlman out of Stanford. Dahlman's dad played at Stanford and with the 49ers. Apparently, everyone's got a, a dad who played football in the NFL these it's days. It's crazy, man. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this particular draft, but um, Dahlman himself, he played football and ran track in high school. He was, you know, his high school's National Honor Society. Uh, right now, he's projected Whoa. as a sixth round pick by Pro Football, Pro football Focus. And He's the Draft Network's 300th ranked prospect. <laughs> oh, um, but hey, this is for sleepers, right? Yeah. Uh, the bad first and foremost is his anchor because it's awful. Uh, it's it's terrible. Like it's it's easily the worst part of his game, uh, without question. He's six three, three hundred pounds. I think he has room to grow. I think he can grow. But honestly, that's kind of like the end of the list for me. I, I think every time I watch, you know, a guy along the interior offensive line, whether it's like Deontay Brown or or Banks just kind of fits in that, like that gap, you know, a power scheme or whatever. And just kind of, I'm not really interested in those guys because they're boring to watch. But finally get <laughs> Allman, you know, who's so light on his feet and so nimble. It was just really yeah. refreshing. Um, you know, Banks and, you know, and uh, Brown are, are kind of your big plugs, but they're just always going to be limited to being that. And I see more potential with Allman who, you know, Hey, like uh, Darasaw, for example, his profile focus grade has increased you know, from 60 to 74 to 86. Um, allowed just two QB hits and zero sacks in three seasons. Um, he's a smart player, a quick learner. Obviously, he went to Stanford and he was in his honor society and all that. You know, he's got some NFL blood. I um, mean, and you made it to Stanford. That's not too bad. So I put a little bit of strength <laughs> on him, put a little bit of weight on him, and I think he has potential. The final caveat for me, and this is why I even you know thought to look at him to begin with, is Ben Fennel likened his type to like a Nick Hardwick, and you know that kind of worked out. I saw that the other day and I was like, okay, like I, I can get behind that. I think that's a really good comparison for him. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, Nick Hardwick is, is one of my favorite players on the charters in in their franchise history. So mm-hmm. I would be all about that. So the last one here, I'm going to break, uh, I'm going to take my Utah goggles off for a second. I know this is, <laughs> this is a crazy event. So uh, I'm going to talk about Tristan Hodge here for a second, who played offensive line for uh, the university of Brigham Young. And uh, not the biggest fan of them, if you cannot tell by this, <laughs> the tone of my voice. Um, but he did transfer there from Notre Dame. And he is Merrill Hodges' son, who played in the NFL as well. So more NFL bloodlines, uh, except Merrill Hodges, I think, a fullback. So uh, we're going from fullback to the offensive line in the same family. Um, but I, I look at Tristan Hodge in a very similar way that you were just talking about. Uh, Dahlman from Stanford, very mobile, very nimble on his feet, has a really high level of balance. Again, the competition level for BYU this past season wasn't great, but you know, we, I just spent a little bit talking about like the ability to get to the second level. And I think that's what Tristan Hodge brings, uh, as somebody who can get out there and make some high level blocks, not the strongest player in the world, but you know, I think if you put in, put him in the, in the right scheme, I think he can be a high-level player, and that definitely is a, fits as a zone blocker. Uh, and my favorite thing about Tristan Hodge, he was the – granted, it was Idaho, but he was the Idaho player of the year as a center for two years in a row. Like, that's a big selling point. Like, I know it's Idaho, but you know how hard <laughs> it is to be an, an, a player of the year in high school twice, let alone as an offensive lineman and let alone as a center? 
So I'm a big fan of Tristan Hodge. I attended his pro day media conference. He's got a great personality, had a Superman headband. So I'm a big fan of Tristan Hodge. Uh, and I think in, you know, in the, in the sixth, seventh round, I think you could take him as a potential developmental center as a potential guard. Um, and I, I would be a big fan of that pick as well. So that is my sleeper. That's probably the only time I will ever talk so highly about a BYU prospect. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't think they even call it the University of Brigham Young at the graduation. So I can tell that you hated them just for mentioning that. Um, you know, go brush your teeth or gargle some uh, mouthwash. Whatever, man. I get it. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, and also, can we let's give a shout out to Scoops Hagland here for a minute, who's been doing these media day press conferences you just mentioned, and people are crediting him with confirming meeting with the Chargers and Rams on Twitter. Uh, shout out to Stephen doing that. Thank you, I appreciate that, and shout out to Ryan Divert for uh, getting me access to those pro days. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, any other thoughts on some offensive linemen before we wrap up today? Uh, I think this is probably uh, if we did like a pie chart of the minutes spoken on this podcast, Stephen has definitely done the most. So, you know, credit to Stephen for his work on offensive line. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I love offensive line play and it's definitely my thing. Uh, offensive and defensive line are, are definitely the prospects that I have uh, the most notes on. Uh, it's just kind of what I'm familiar with. And so, you know, got to stick to what you know. So Tyler, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? Uh, thank you for listening to my rambling. They tried me at DN once in eighth grade, and that didn't work. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at five three ninety five pounds. So. I wonder why, man. <laughs> they tried though. <laughs> Credit um, for trying. Yeah, exactly. Outside the box thinking. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening to my rambling because I don't know jack shit about any of this. So uh, yeah. Now this was a lot of fun for me, and I I, I could talk about offensive linemen all day, which I, I basically have this morning. Um, but you know we've got a fun few episodes ahead. We're gonna do our running backs featured. It's, we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on it, just frankly because you know it's the running back position. Uh, and then we're gonna do our our mock draft two or three point I think it is. Yeah. Uh, next time, and then after that, we'll dive into the defensive prospects. And my favorite thing about today is that by the time you are listening to this, we will be one month away from the NFL draft, which is just super exciting. Cannot wait to see how the next month uh, pans out for the league. So that'll do it for us, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure and let us know what you thought. I know this the offensive line is a huge need for the Chargers. So uh, if you've got someone that you're pounding the table for, someone that you think is a, a legitimate sleeper that we didn't mention, or if you got some thoughts on the players that we did mention, please let us know in the comments. And as always, all ratings and reviews are appreciated. Make sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And we will see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.